Welcome to Court of Opinion. I'm Eric Gonzalez. And I'm Mike Stir. It happened. It finally happened. <laughs> yeah, I know we were talking about it last podcast too. We were basically saying that things had quieted down and it was looking like it probably wasn't going to happen, at least not till later on in the season. And then the very next episode, he gets traded. It seems like right after we have that podcast and everything is quiet and stable, he comes out and starts saying the stuff about this team is just not good enough to win. This is crazy. I can't be here. And then at that point, Houston's kind of like, all right, look, this is just getting out of hand. We got to cut ties with this guy. Well, for a guy who clearly wore a fat suit to diminish his trade value and completely <laughs> belittled his teammates, his new coach, his new GM, his team, the Nets still gave up so much to get him, but we'll get into that moment. Let's talk about the grades for all parties and talk about what each party got uh, for those for, for the deal because a few other teams got in the mix here. So this is a really, really big, complicated four-team trade. So let's just do a quick rundown of what every team got. The Nets basically get James Harden, and that's it. The Rockets, after a secondary trade, end up with a final haul of Oladipo, Exum, Kuroks, three Brooklyn Nets first-rounders, one Milwaukee first-rounder, and four Brooklyn Nets first-round pick swaps. The Pacers get Karis LeVert, a second-rounder, and the Cavs get Jared Allen and Tarian Prince. So that's what we've got. Based on what every team pulled off, what do you think, Eric? What grades do you give every individual team? Yeah, so I'll start with the big one, the Nets getting James Harden. I give them a C minus. Uh, I think they mortgaged their entire future to have over 30-year-old players, players who all have a very uh, diva personality. I think you tweeted that Steve Nash is going to have to have a psychiatrist because of all the different personalities that he has on that team. So I give them a C minus and we can get into more of their roster, the fit, and how we think they're going to be moving forward. The Pacers, A+. Plus. They really snuck into this deal to get a prolific score at a younger age than Oladipo. So they flip an older Oladipo who wasn't really a part of the team anymore in terms of some of the play you've seen from Brogdon, Sabonis, Miles Turner, and others on the team. So they flip an inspiring contract to have somebody who's younger on a cheaper contract and who's probably going to contribute to the team more honestly. The other reason for that A-plus, uh, Karis Levert, they found a mass on his kidney, I believe, during physicals and continued with the deal. So that whole trade may have saved his life in the grand scheme of things. Uh, the Rockets, A+, plus. I don't know how you don't give them an A+, plus here. Uh, they get, you said, four first-round picks plus the rights to swap three other picks. So they have all of their draft capital back and then some from the Russell Westbrook trade. Uh, and I still think they get a great piece in Oladipo that they may be able to flip as well at, before the trade deadline. And then the Cavaliers, uh, B+, plus, I would give them an A+, plus if Jarrett Allen filled the need for them, but they just have a huge logjam at the power forward center position. So I give them a B+, plus for now, and it could turn into an A+, plus depending on what moves they do towards the end of the deadline to get rid of that positional mismatch there. The other team that I would give a grade that 
isn't in this uh, entire trade is the Oklahoma City Thunder, who continue to just get better and better stock back from their trades that they made over the last couple of years because all of these swaps have implications on them. So they're going to be able to swap their pick for whatever is the best pick out of this one. And then Houston will get the second best pick and then Brooklyn will get the third best pick. So shout out to Sam Presti. Yeah, I like, um, I like a lot of your takes on it. For me, I've got to give the Nets probably a slightly higher grade. I'm going to go ahead and give them a B on it. I can't give them much higher than that just because at this point, James Harden being 31 years old and mortgaging basically the next potentially eight years, if you think about it, with all the draft capital they traded away, I think that that's asking a lot for James Harden. So it's basically if they don't win it in the next two to three years, then this is probably going to be a bust of a trade for them. They're basically going all in on the fact that they're hoping they're going to pull it off in the next two to three years. If we look back to the history of the Nets, they actually did something similar to this, um, just not quite on this large of a scale, when they traded for the aging stars of Kevin Garnett, Joe Johnson, and Paul Pierce, and put those three together. We saw how long that put them in the hole after those three guys left. And by the time that those guys joined forces on that team, they weren't anywhere near as impactful as they used to be. And they were nothing more than just first round exit playoff team material. So I'm not saying the Nets are going to be that ceiling. I think that they probably have a much higher ceiling than that team did. But the issue is, I think that the three pieces of James Harden, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Durant are not going to work as well as many would hope. I don't think that they're going to amplify each other. I think that James Harden is more of like an insurance policy for Kyrie because you never know what you're going to get from Kyrie. Is he going to be hurt? Is he going to be mentally upset? There's apparently a variety of reasons for why he may not show up on a given night. So it seems almost like they traded for James Harden to be like, hey, well, if Kyrie doesn't show up today, we'll have James at least. And I think that James Harden and Kevin Durant probably would have better chemistry than those two. So uh, we'll have to see how that goes. The Rockets, they obviously get an A+. I don't think that I've heard of any team except for maybe the Thunder acquiring this much of draft capital in a single swap. And actually, this is probably even larger than any single trade the Thunder made in terms of draft capital returned. And as the Thunder's GM, or as the Rockets GM said, draft capital is the best currency for return because it gives you the ability to mold your team however you want in the direction that you want to go with your new coaches system. You can grow a team together and they still have Christian Wood on their team. Who's young on a three-year deal with um, a favorable contract payment. They're getting Oladipo back, as you said, which is most likely just going to be a trade chip for the deadline. And they have John Wall, who if they choose to part ways with, I'm sure will have value to a lot of teams now that he's proven himself to be healthy. So the Rockets are kind of like a poor man's thunder at this point with all the draft capital they have and the different directions they can go. For the Pacers, I'm going to go ahead and give them a B plus. Um, I think Karis LeVert is a great player. And for them to just get in there and swap Victor Oladipo, basically, and, uh, and a pick for Karis LeVert, I think was really good because Karis LeVert is a player that has been criminally underrated because he's been coming off the bench on a very talented and stacked um, Nets team, but he's quietly putting up a case for six man of the year 
And with his ball handling ability and distributing ability at his size, his ability to space the floor, he gives you everything that you want from a modern forward. And I think that he would be much more complimentary to Sabonis and the other players on their lineup than a guy like Victor Oladipo, who had already basically expressed many times he didn't want to be there anymore. So that was great for them. For the Cavs, I give them a C. I really don't understand the, the reasoning for them to facilitate this trade. They essentially get Jared Allen and Torian Prince. Jared Allen's a nice piece, but with Andre Drummond there and the logjam they have of forwards, I don't really see them maximizing his value with this trade. So I don't really understand it from their perspective. Yeah, I, th I saw a funny uh, comment from Charles Barkley that said that Kevin Durant went from the Splash Bros to the Dribble Bros. So <laughs> it'll, uh, we'll, we'll see how everything works out for the Nets. But yeah, I mean, at this point, we have to ask. I know a lot of players are a lot of people around the league, a lot of different media members and players alike are uh, all looking at the Nets like they might be the new favorites after putting these three three-headed monster together on paper, you would say they definitely have the best lineup on paper. But do you think that they are the actual favorites? If you're examining this roster and the way that they're going to make this work, do you think that this is actually a favorite now to win the finals? I don't. I don't think that they're title, title favorites. Uh, Harden has never shown that he's an effective postseason scorer or that he's an effective postseason player, rather. His player efficiency rating is worse every single season that he plays in the playoffs. And his VORP is awful in the postseason. It goes from like over seven to just around one. So he always just ends up crumbling when it comes to the postseason. And they don't have much depth. They had to trade away some of their key rotational players. Dinwiddie is still out. They expect him to probably be out for the rest of the season. Like you said, you don't know what you're going to get with Kyrie. So if they face a good defensive team like the Bucks, and you have Giannis on Durant and you have Drew Holiday on Harden, you're going to have to rely on all of these other rotational players to really put up points. And against the Magic, yes, Kevin Durant and James Harden both had stellar offensive games, but the Magic were still hanging around up until the last moments of that game. Magic are a pretty good team this year, but they're not the Bucks, they're not the Heat, they're not the Celtics. So the moment you have a more complete team that's going to, from the one through five, be a threat to you, I don't think that the Nets stand a chance to really make it deep in the playoffs, especially dealing with these chemistry issues and trying to get everything aligned by the time of the playoffs. Yeah, for me, um, I'm looking at this team and I see a way that they can definitely win the finals, but I don't know if they're going to be realistically able to go down that path. The thing is, on paper, they do have a ton of talent, but as you mentioned, depth is depleted at this point, and depth is so important in the playoffs. As we've seen a lot of times, teams will build a lead with their starting unit just to see it diminish and evaporate when they go to rest. And if you consistently have to play your starters extremely heavy minutes, because you can't rely on your bench that usually ends up wearing your players out in later rounds. We also see that the Kyrie situation is very volatile and unpredictable. Ever since Kyrie has left for personal reasons, I mean, during this time, we have already seen Kevin Durant return from his mandatory COVID isolation. And we've already seen James Harden suit up for the Nets before Kyrie Irving has even returned 
from his leave of absence. He's now been fined nearly a million dollars for violating protocol. He was seen at a family birthday party. Apparently his sister's birthday party is one of the things he was doing while he was gone. He was seen with many people uh, without mask in violation of the NBA protocol. So now he's facing additional uh, mandatory games for that. So this is something with Kyrie that you can see happening all year long. There's, you never know what you're going to get with him. I think that if you're the Nets, if you really want to win the championship, you have to restore your depth and also give your team an identity and chemistry. Because right now they're, they're the dribble bros in reality. I don't think that Kyrie Irving plays basketball uh, with chemistry with other players. He almost plays basketball in a selfish, I want to do something that looks beautiful and looks really cool kind of way. And I'll pass you the ball if it's, if it's like an assist for me and it looks cool. But otherwise, I'd rather just take it myself and take a way harder shot. So I think that if the Nets want to win at all, they, they have to actually trade Kyrie Irving for depth pieces and other rotational pieces that can actually complement James Harden and Kevin Durant. Because just looking at James and Kevin play that first game together, they look like they had more chemistry and sync with the rest of their team than any of the games that I've seen Kyrie and Kevin play together. And as you said, they, they did almost lose that game still. Um, James did have nine turnovers. But I think that playoff James Harden and how poorly he performs in the playoffs is a lot to do with the fact that every time he's been in the playoffs, he's been the central focal point of the other team's defense. If you have a guy like Kevin Durant on your team, I really do think that Kevin Durant is the most talented offensive player in the league. That gives James Harden the ability to be a secondary playmaker or a, a secondary scorer. Um, and play off of Kevin Durant, which he's really good at doing, at analyzing and reading defenses and then making reactionary plays. I think that that could work out great. And if they trade Kyrie for some supporting pieces to strengthen up their depth, perhaps another strong forward who can shoot the three and guard multiple positions, then they have the necessary firepower to contend in the finals. Yeah, and... So let's get into some of the post-trade domino effects, and I'm going to start with the Nets. Uh, I agree that I do think that Kyrie is going to be gone. I think with Kyrie's personality, he's not going to want to be the third person on the team, and he clearly is the number three when it comes to Durant and uh, Harden. So I agree. I think Kyrie will either be traded before the deadline or to start the next season when they don't make the title uh, game. So I think... <laughs> Unfortunately, I do think that Kyrie is going to go to the Heat. Uh, him and Jimmy Butler are very good friends. And Jimmy has said that he wants to play with Kyrie. Jimmy and Kyrie also own an underwear company together. So there is that sort of camaraderie off the court from a business standpoint. Uh, the Heat realistically probably would be better with Kyrie, a Kyrie that shows up every night. So I could see the Heat trading Tyler Hero, Precious Achua, as well as an expiring deal over to the Nets in order to obtain Kyrie and have him form a big three with Bam, Jimmy, and Kyrie. Yeah, when I'm looking at the post-trade dominoes, the Kyrie thing, we, I agree, he's definitely going to be traded. I just don't know if it's going to be the Heat. I feel like Kyrie Irving's personality is definitely the kind that would not do well in the Heat organization. Kyrie Irving is the kind of guy who believes that he should be able to do what he wants on his own time, on his own schedule. 
he is 100% for preferential treatment. Hey, I'm Kyrie, you have to understand. If I'm not feeling well today, you have to understand. This guy is not committed to putting basketball first. It looks like Kyrie Irving is committed to whatever he's feeling in that moment. And if it's not basketball, it could, it could potentially be anything else, but it doesn't seem like basketball is always his top priority, which is why he misses so many games due to unrelated reasons and invites so much extra distraction and drama. The Heat seem to be the opposite culture-wise of that. I don't think that Kyrie is the kind of player who would fit in culture-wise. I think that Jimmy might be friends with him and uh, they'd look great on paper, but Jimmy was also friends with James Harden. And when Jimmy got offered a contract to join him in free agency, he turned it down because he realized we may be friends off the court, but on the court, I don't want to deal with your crap. So I don't, I don't think that. Uh, I also think that the team issue though. I think, I think he just didn't want to go to the Rockets versus he wanted to be at the Heat. Yeah, I think, I think that too. But I think the main reason why is because he realized that James Harden's Rockets were not a team that was going to be a hundred percent. Let's practice. Let's play basketball. Let's focus. And he knew that. I'm sure the guys talk in the league that we're we're finding out right now about James Harden's parting antics. But I'm sure this is no surprise to anyone who plays in the league. They probably all knew about this. And Jimmy probably knows if he had an issue with Towns and Wiggins not not showing up with full effort to practice, he's going to have even more of a problem with someone not showing up at all. So I think that it had a lot to do with that. Like kind of like when you're friends with somebody, you may be good friends with them, but you don't want them as your roommate because you don't like their habits. So I think that it could be a situation like that. I think what's more likely um, would be if the Heat were to trade Tyler Hero for a guy like Bradley Beal, that would make a lot more sense. But um, for a less obvious trade candidate, I think that someone who may be on the move would be none other than Zach Levine who is actually quietly having the best year of his career. He's putting up averages right now that are completely worthy of being an all-star. He's putting up 26.9 points a game, 5.2 assists, 4.8 rebounds, 1.4 steals. He's also shooting 37.9% from three on 8.9 attempts, 48.6% from the field. He's honestly killing it for the Bulls, but the problem is they can't seem to win any games despite what he does. Uh, there was a crazy statistic that came out recently that Zach Levine was the first bull since Michael Jordan to score 30 points in four consecutive games while also shooting 50% from the field or better. And it seems despite that, they still can't win. He lost all four of those games. So it looks like no matter what he does this year, the Bulls are likely going to miss the playoffs um, and they're headed back for the lottery. So if you're, do you see him going? you're a team... Honestly, I would hate it if it happened. I would hate it so much. But I've heard rumblings that this may be a fit for the Lakers. If the Lakers were to get him, I think that they could get the most out of Zach Levine because it seems like Zach Levine's main issue is his decision-making ability. He turns it over nearly as many times as he assists it, and that's always been his main drawback as a lead guard you would expect a lead guard to have better decision-making and playmaking ability, but it seems like he only knows how to score the basketball. That is all he can do is score. He can potentially win a dunk contest or a three-point contest, but you can't have him be your main decision-maker in crunch time. And I think that having a guy like a LeBron James on that team would probably help them a lot with that aspect of getting the most out of his abilities because he would always be able to find him 
in positions to score and basically have him focus on his primary skill, which is to score the ball. And he also gives them the best wing player they'd have on their roster um, besides LeBron when he wants to play out on the wing. They could probably use a complimentary wing piece. And it may be the case. I'm not saying that they would definitely go for this because they don't need to shake it up right now. They're doing amazing. But I could see it happening if somehow the Nets were to start firing on all cylinders with Kyrie, James, and Kevin Durant. If somehow that were to work out, I could see how the Lakers might think, hey, you know what? Those three guys together, we might need another piece. And if that were to happen, I could see Zach Levine going there. The other team that I can see would be the Nuggets, actually, because I still think that the Michael Porter Jr. situation, even though he's starting now and is putting up solid numbers, when I see that team play, it just doesn't seem like they work. It seems chemistry-wise, Michael Porter Jr. really wants to be a lead guy. He wants to be the number one option, the number one guy on the perimeter. And that team's primary uh, playmaker and the primary offensive fulcrum is always going to be Jokic, who's another forward. And they also have um, Jamal Murray, who seems to always prefer to shoot the ball rather than pass it to Michael Porter Jr. whenever he has it. Jamal Murray almost seemingly would rather pass it to anyone else but Michael Porter Jr. if you watch them play. I don't know what that's about. It's kind of strange. But I could see them flipping Michael Porter Jr. to the Bulls, who are already trying to rebuild with a young core, pairing someone like Patrick Williams. Michael Porter Jr. would be a nice little combination. And Jokic could probably find Zach Levine in ideal positions to score and give them a little bit of more offensive burst. Yeah, I, I think those are two uh, interesting spots for him to go. I could also see him going across L.A. to the Clippers. They haven't really gotten the production out of Pat Bev and Lou Will that they expected to have from that position. So they need to have more of a scorer that's in that role. So if Zach Levine got traded there for Pat Beverly and Lou Williams, you give Pat Beverly the opportunity to play in his hometown Bulls, but also have Zach Levine compliment Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Uh, in addition to your trade candidates, I think that Bradley Beal should be traded. I don't think he will be traded because we've talked about how stubborn Ted Leonosis is for that team. So he should be moved to the Heat, the Pelicans, or the Nuggets. All three of those teams have young players who they could exchange for Brad Beal, but also with the case of the Pelicans, as well as the Nuggets, they have some draft capital in the coming years that would be attractive to the Washington Wizards so that they could rebuild that team properly. Uh, again, don't see that happening. Talked about the log jam that the Cavs have at the power forward center spot. I think that both JaVale McGee and Andre Drummond will be moved before the trade deadline. I think Drummond will end up being with the Boston Celtics like they theorized for the last several years so that the Celtics have a good rebounder at that position and can replace some of the play that they've had uh, this past year. And JaVale McGee, I could see him being traded to a title contender, uh, someone such as the Heat, who really do need more of a backup true center at that position, as well as, uh, honestly, to back, back to the Lakers or to uh, the Clippers as well, to have true depth at that position. And JaVale has been shooting threes, which has been just weird. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's been, he's been something else this year. Yeah. So... 
Moving on from trade candidates, MVP rank. So Steph Curry has placed himself firmly in the MVP discussion after really not having a supporting cast around him to carry the games. Uh, he has really single-handedly brought that team to relevance with a six and six start to the season. So other players around the league are also elevating their game as of late. Who are you taking as MVP to this point? Is it Steph versus the field or do you have a few other names in mind? Um, I think I have a few other names in mind at this point. The, the main thing is we're getting a lot of production and MVP quality numbers from guys that are otherwise not on teams with great records, which is kind of strange. Outside of LeBron James, um, you don't really have most of the MVP candidates playing on teams with dominant records. But for me personally, if I had to go with an MVP candidate and we were going purely based on that person's production and excluding team record, I'd have to give it to Bradley Beal because he has literally been putting up 34.9 points per game, 5.3 assists, and 5.4 rebounds. So on very great numbers, 37.5% from three-point range, 49% from the field, very efficient guy. Volume score, every game he's been giving it his all. So it's honestly a shame that the Wizards have the record that they do. But Bradley Beal definitely deserves consideration. And my other candidate would definitely be Nikola Jokic, who is probably leading the league in efficiency right now with 25 points per game, 11.4 rebounds, and 10.3 assists. We thought when we saw Russell Westbrook averaging a triple-double that we would never see it done again. Um, we were shocked when it happened again with Russell because we hadn't seen it done since Oscar Robertson. But here we are seeing it again. It looks like Nikola Jokic is actually going to be able to do it. And it's a center doing it, which is insane. He's putting up insane numbers with just incredible efficiency. 57% shooting, 38% from three-point range, 84% from the free throw. The guy has been a machine. He's also getting 1.9 steals per game. So even though he may not be very quick on his feet, you can see that he has great defensive instincts to get his hand in there and break up passing lanes. So he's been doing everything you want. Um, it's hard to not pick Jokic as an MVP candidate as well. Yeah, I actually have Jokic as Jokic versus the field, I think. So if you look back over the last 10 years, with the exception of Derrick Rose's MVP season, every single player has been top three in player efficiency rating, actually Every single player has been number one in player efficiency rating with the exception of Derrick Rose and one of Steph Curry's MVP seasons. Every single season, person who's top has been uh, the MVP. So Jokic right now is at a 31.4 in player efficiency rating for all the reasons you just mentioned. The number two there is Chris, Chris Boucher, who I actually think is going to be most improved player of the year given his play at Toronto. Uh, and then number three is Kevin Durant with 28.4. And I think he could be the MVP this season. So I think it'll be between Jokic and Kevin Durant unless Steph Curry brings it up to top three in player efficiency rating. Jokic is just having an unbelievable season. And like you said, at the center position, he's really playing like a guard with the ability. Number to one, like that. number one in assists. He's leading the league in assists as a center. I'm yeah. actually, I, I don't know that a center has ever done that before. Maybe Will Chamberlain when he averaged 10 a game for a whole season, but I don't even know if he was the leader that year. He might have been, but 
Jokic, I've never not modern era that. ball. Yeah, not, not a modern, modern era. era ball. Yeah, it's so, incredible what he's doing out there. Yeah, it, it's it's wild. Um, and also, he is a hair short on three point percentage to be having a 40 50 season from percentages and free throws. He's at 85. So he very well could get up to a 50, 40, 90 season if he plays well through the remainder of the year, which again, would just be insane from that position. And I'm sure that's a goal of his, if not this year, next year. Definitely. All right. Let's talk a little bit about COVID. Uh, the last couple of weeks, there's been a, a, a lot of, postponement of games teams like the heat the 76ers and others have had to play with eight nine ten players so sacrificing some of their player depth but also just exhausting those guys and seeing a lot of play from the two-way contracts so will we get to another bubble scenario do you think or do you feel that uh there will be other measures implemented in order to mitigate some of these risks with covid um, the thing is, I, the way that the season is structured, they do have the second half of the season not scheduled yet to be able to try to account for all these postponed and missed games. But I think that even if you schedule in those games for the second half of the year, you're still going to be subjected to the same things that are making you miss games right now. So it's going to probably result in more cancellations and postponement of games unless they were to create multiple bubbles. I've heard that idea be tossed around where the NBA, instead of creating one bubble, might pick several cities in different regions and make multiple bubbles to try to limit the amount of travel and cut down on uh, the different amounts of exposures. But the players are obviously very against this. The players mostly and largely already didn't like the original bubble situation and are not very likely to want to go back to that. So I don't see that happening this season. What I do see as a possibility would be the NBA making a provision where two-way contract players and players that are normally limited to only X amount of games may get an extension on the amount of games they're eligible to play to try to mitigate um, the mandatory isolations and the 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 increased workload that is resulted then on the players that are available. You obviously can't have consistently your team playing with eight guys because you're going to probably run into injury problems and fatigue down the road if you have to do that consistently. So I, something has to be done about it to try to avoid um, injury problems and just overall sloppy play. But I think that the NBA is probably just going to go with extending two-way players and players that normally are limited. I don't really see them able to convince the players to go back to a bubble. Yeah, I agree. I don't think they're going to get back to a bubble, but I do think that they need to do more around having more bodies there and potentially having like team bubbles for those two-way contract players, as well as potentially opening like two or three more roster spots for vets like Michael Beasley, Isaiah Thomas, Jamal Crawford, vets who want to play who aren't in the league currently. I think that they should expand the two-way contracts to give younger guys a chance and allow them to play throughout the entire season so that they have four or five two-way contracts as well as potentially one or two vet slots. And then those guys should be like under stricter rules 
in order to, if we need you for an emergency game, then we know that you're not going to be sick and you're going to be able to play and we're going to still be able to have 12 or 13 players in uniform. Um, so I, I think that's the best way that they can mitigate for the rest of the season and not have another potential bubble scenario. Um, but we, we shall see if that really is the case. All right, so we have an interesting race for seven and eight in the West right now. There are four teams currently tied for that position. Uh, right now, the Mavericks, the Warriors, the Grizzlies, and the Thunder are all at six and six. We have the San Antonio Spurs at seven and six, and then we have the Denver Nuggets and New Orleans Pelicans at six and seven, five and seven, respectively. So there's a very, very tightly close uh, and contested race for six, seven, and eight, really, by these seven teams. So what do you think about those seven teams, really those four teams at six and six? Um, and if they had a play-in tournament for the seven and eight seed, who do you think would make it out of the Mavericks, Warriors, Grizzlies, and Thunder? Yeah, for me, honestly, if I'm looking at these teams, I know that the Mavericks – the Warriors, Grizzlies, and Thunder right now are all six and six and are ranked ahead of the Nuggets. But I would actually pick the Nuggets, who are 11th right now, to beat all of those teams. And that's not to say that I don't respect Luka Doncic and Stephen Curry's game. I think that they're both MVP caliber players. But but I just I think that Jokic is also an MVP caliber player, and his team just has way much better depth. I think. Uh, the Nuggets right now are playing way below their potential. And I think that once they get things straightened out and start maximizing the play of the players around Jokic, they'll eventually pull it together. I find it very unlikely that a team that over the last two and three years was always a top four team is now 11th. So I still think that the Nuggets are going to regain their form and pull it out. Yeah, I agree with you. The Nuggets uh, lost four of their first five. Uh, and then since then have won five of their last eight. So they clearly uh, have turned it around to really start off the season to where they are now. Also, if you look at their point differential of all of those teams, they have the best point differential with the Mavericks falling behind them uh, with a plus 2.6 for the Mavericks and a plus 2.9 for the Nuggets. So I do think that they would have the best chance to get out of it. And I think when the season ends, they will more so be in the four or five seed spot uh, versus where they're currently at, at 11. No, Jokic is just having, a, like we talked about, a stellar MVP season. And I do think that the depth of the Nuggets is greater than the rest of those teams overall. But I do think that the Grizzlies and the Thunder, they're gonna have an opportunity to sneak into the playoffs. And again, we talk about the Thunder every time. They're trying to get worse. They're trying to be the last team in the league and have a high draft pick. And every year they have some players like Shy, like George Hill, that are just keeping them in there. So I expect to see, we talked about trade candidates earlier, George Hill potentially traded, uh, Al Horford probably next year or the year after be traded as well, depending on his level of play. And probably whatever other veteran that they take in, end up coaching well, having a great season, and then flipping him for a first-round pick. Yep, I got to agree with that 100%. And I'm still going to go ahead and stick with my prediction that the Warriors will miss the playoffs. I don't think they're one of the eight best teams in the West. 
I know they're in there right now at the eighth spot, but I I just can't see it. Stephen Curry would have to be MVP level Steph Curry for the rest of the year, which he, he could maybe do it, but I just don't see it happening for them. Not this year. Well, we'll keep an eye out for them and the rest of the teams. So moving on to our final segment of the show, plead their case where I will ask you to plead a person's case based off of a certain scenario. And you will give me uh, your insights as to why you're leaning one way or the other. Ready? All right. Sounds good. All right. LaMelo Ball is leading all rookies in most statistical categories. Plead his case thus far for rookie of the season. <laughs> Honestly, this one's kind of, uh, kind of messed up to ask me because I'm the guy who also picked him to not win rookie of the year on the first episode. But I mean, right now he's definitely overachieving based on everything that I thought he would do. He's putting up 11.8 points per game, 6.8 rebounds per game and 6.1 assists per game. So he's essentially putting up a similar level of production to Lonzo Ball, his older brother that everyone is saying is much improved this year. And He's basically had four years to improve, and LaMelo is that good coming in right now, right off the bat, with really good efficiency numbers, actually, putting up a PER of 17.86. Um, I think that the other aspect that you have to take into account with him is that he's also been asked to play a role that a lot of other rookies in his position probably aren't. Usually a top three pick is going to be starting and given the reins to do whatever they want, um, which is, I think, kind of like a more immature level of basketball to play and doesn't really develop you as much mentally. Um, you can see the intelligence in his game because he's being asked to essentially come off the bench behind someone else starting at point guard and still make a positive impact without, um, without trying to do too much and without getting caught up in trying to make uh, empty stat filling plays and to try to essentially play real winning basketball, which the Hornets at six and eight aren't necessarily, it's not impossible for them to make the playoffs. If they make the difference of making the playoffs this year with LaMelo ball, you have to say that the addition of LaMelo ball probably has a large reason to do with it. Also Gordon Hayward, but LaMelo ball is, is doing great moving the ball for their offense, getting 7.2 assists per game off the bench in his last 10, you got to give it to him. He probably is the most deserving at this point. Yeah, I agree. I, I think LaMelo Ball likely will win rookie of the year. Uh, his player efficiency rating is actually a hair better than Chris Paul, um, which is an interesting stat line to look at. Um, but yeah, I think the Hornets are just putting him in a situation to succeed similar to the Warriors and how they put James Weissman in a situation to succeed because he's really turned into like their second leading scorer on that team and the second best offensive threat with Clay Thompson out. So I think both of those players will have promising, uh, promising careers based off of their level of play currently, but then also what type of situations that they're in on their respective teams. Yeah, George. I, will say, I will say one thing about him, though. Now that we're done discussing him, I will say one disclaimer. Just because he is probably the player that is most deserving of winning Rookie of the Year does not mean that I think that he's going to be the best player in this class by any measure. I just think that he probably is the most 
able to perform in the NBA right now at this point in the year. I also think that he has probably at this point is a lot closer to his ceiling than a lot of other players, just because we are still seeing that he is deficient in a lot of the things we thought he would be. He is shooting sub 70% from the free throw, only 33% from three and 40% from the field, which are all below average for all categories for a guard at his position. So even though he is making a very positive impact, he does leave a lot to be desired on the offensive side of the ball, similar to his brother Lonzo, but you got to give it to him for now. All right. Well, we'll continue to follow him and see if he uh, develops, but I'm sure that other players like Luca, LeBron, Luca shot for his first season, uh, let's see, 32% from three, 42% for field goal percentage, and 71% from free throw. So not that LaMelo is Luca, but doesn't necessarily mean that he'll be a bad player later on. All right. Fair enough. Paul George claims that he is back with a vengeance after playoff woes last season. Plead his case on how he's answered thus far with his vengeance season. Paul George is definitely feeling himself this season, even though statistically he has had more impressive numerical seasons. It's more of, if you've seen him play, the mental edge that he's playing with, he's come a long way from, I'm no James Harden. That infamous quote from the post game in the playoffs where he basically admitted to the fact that there are some games that he's just not going to be able to score because he's no James Harden, that his job is to impact the game other ways. He's come a long way since then because it seems this season he's making more of a point to take shots when he gets them rather than being passive and trying to pass them off and being hesitant. He seems like he is much more driven in terms of his approach on offense. He's being more decisive. He's also shooting a career high from three-point range, 49%, which is just deadly, 51.9% from the field. This would stand to be one of the most efficient seasons of his career if he could keep it up. And I know that we've seen him perform in the regular season before and have even better regular season performances than this in the past, but he just looks different out there. Um, if you saw his most recent game, He's posterizing people seemingly on a nightly basis and he's looking people in the eye after he does it and talking smack. It's exactly what you want to see. If you're Steve Ballmer in the Clippers, you want to see a Paul George that's confident because as far as an athlete and player goes, he has the measurables and the athleticism to be a perennial MVP candidate in terms of athleticism, shooting ability, defensive ability. There's no reason he shouldn't be able to perform at Kawhi's level. But for whatever reason, he just doesn't do it on a nightly basis because the mental edge isn't always there. So for Paul George, it's always been more of a mental thing. And it seems that this season, he's got a different look in his eye. Will that look in his eye continue into the playoffs? I think that this year has been probably his best chance. So we'll have to wait and see, but it looks good. Yeah, Paul George also is having a 50-50-90 season, shooting over 50% from both three-point range and field goal percentages, and from the free throw, uh, shooting over 90%. So when he does have the ball and he is making those shots, he is doing it at a very efficient rate. So good to see him uh, making good on his word. Yeah, he got Kevin Durant. So. <laughs> 
he did get paid. <laughs> so at least he's not becoming complacent after getting paid. Yeah, definitely. Kevin Durant saw James Harden suit up for the Nets before Kyrie Irving since his personal leave of absence and a strong debut for the duo. Plead Kyrie's case for why he isn't the odd man out and a successful big three is possible. <laughs> um, honestly, I don't think that without Kyrie Irving and his sage, they have a chance. I mean, we have seen over the past couple of years that the teams that don't burn sage always are eliminated early. The teams that do burn sage tend to make it later. Um, they obviously, they need Kyrie Irving for morale. No one can do as cool of looking stuff as, as he can do. I mean, it's obviously you could get a dunk from Kevin Durant, but you could also get a step back fadeaway over three defenders from Kyrie Irving. You know, making those very difficult shots in the face of easier baskets boosts team morale because it makes your teammates say, hey, I may have been open for a dunk, but I saw you do something really cool and that motivates me to play harder. And I think that that is what you need if you are looking for uh, a glue guy, somebody who can really bring your team together, you need a guy who is willing to not pass you the ball when you're open to instead do something that looks really visually cool because that is honestly what is conducive to winning. So um, I, I really think that they're going to need him and I think that they're excited to get him back. All right, so Kyrie Irving is definitely the odd man out and a successful big three is not going to be possible based off your sarcasm. All right, moving on. The Miami Heat losers of three straight are now four and seven after a deep playoff run to the finals last season. Plead their case on why they can turn this around and have a playoff push, although they're in the 12th spot currently. Yeah, honestly, um, I still don't think that the Heat should really be all that concerned just yet. I know that the record is a little concerning but you also have to keep in mind that this is one of the teams, as we mentioned by COVID, that has been ravaged. They've had to play three of their games with eight players and those eight players excluded a lot of their best guys, Bam, Butler, Adebayo, Hero has missed time, Bradley has missed time. I don't think that they've had a consistent lineup for three games in any of their games. They've basically had a different lineup in almost every game because they've had guys in and out for a variety of reasons, be it injury or mandatory COVID. They also are sorely missing the production of Jay Crowder right now because he was a guy that did a little bit of everything for them. And I think that they're trying to still tinker with their lineups and figure the best way to replace his production. I think that they do have the pieces in place to do it but they need all of their guys to be at full strength in order for it to happen. Um, we've all seen individual growth from their players, from their young guys anyway, in spurts. It's just not really coincided with them happening together. For example, we've seen Tyler Hero take a big step offensively over his last couple of games, having to play um, as the lead guy with Adebayo and Butler out. He's had two games in his last three where he scored at least 30 points um, and shooting over 50% from the field as well. So he's coming around offensively, but unfortunately they still lost those games because they were missing too many other pieces. Bam Adebayo's jumper looks much improved 
Um, his offensive numbers are improving. He's shooting over 60% from the field and averaging now close to 19 points per game with his usually elite defense. So he's taking a step forward. Precious Achua um, has shown that he can produce right now as a rookie and give them good minutes for Bam off the bench. It's just that, unfortunately, they haven't had time to coalesce. And you're going to hear the rumors about this team all year long because, unfortunately, last year, the vibe around this team was a fun, carefree, um, happy-go-lucky type environment because there was no pressure because no one was expecting this team to make any noise. They were a team that basically everyone was saying, oh, Jimmy Butler went to retire on South Beach to have a nice payday and nice weather for the remainder of his career, but no one expected them to compete. Um, and now they're a team that went to the finals last year and has expectations of competing. So anytime that you have that situation happen and you underperform, there's going to be the rumblings of trade rumors. Um, do they need to make a trade to get pieces to bring them back to where they were last season? There's obviously always the imminent threat of Bradley Beal being traded and Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson having to constantly hear their names and those rumors. But I tell Heat fans to breathe and give the team some time. Um, I think once they get all their pieces together on the court, they'll figure it out. I wouldn't expect for them to make a move until at least around the halfway point of the season when they have a better idea of how their current pieces are going to fit. Yeah, I agree. I think they were four and four before this COVID impact that they've had. And now they're four and seven. So three games with limited players. They almost pulled it off the first game against the 76ers, but Joel Embiid was just too good that game. But these last couple of games, they definitely missed their pieces. I would say the one point uh, for people to take note of is Jimmy Butler is finally getting his rest that he definitely has needed. So hopefully he hasn't been impacted by COVID and this was purely from a protective health standpoint. Um, but Jimmy Butler is now getting some rest and is able to fully heal that ankle of his as well as just have another week or two of rest from leaving the finals only about a month and a half ago. Um, so I think they'll be better to close out the season. They're obviously a well-coached team and uh, we'll, we'll see how they perform to end the season. All right, lastly, Zach Levine playing the best basketball of his career, as we previously mentioned. He now had four consecutive games with 30 plus points per game on 50% shooting or better, which as you pointed out, no one has done that for the Bulls since MJ. But the Bulls also lost all four games. So plead Zach Levine's case for why he could be the leading guy on a team that is also a winning team. I think that Zach Levine could be the lead guy on a winning team if it was the right roster. I think that right now you're not seeing winning basketball from the Bulls because Zach Levine is really the only guy that is performing at that level. He's surrounded by a bunch of young players that are still figuring out the X's and O's of the game. Um, a lot of times they don't even know where to be on defense. And the decision-making ability of Zach Levine is already something that is probably his, his largest detriment. So when you surround him with other players that already don't have experience and good decision-making ability, it only amplifies his own weakness in decision-making. But I think that if you take Zach Levine and his gifts, which are his incredible athleticism, 
his shooting ability, his accuracy, his finishing ability, his ability to play above the rim. Um, and you put him on a team that is experienced with veteran guys that have good decision-making skills and leadership, you can mitigate that aspect for him and maybe give him an example of who to learn from because um, Zach Levine for his career has never really played with a guy that he could learn from leadership wise. Um, I think that if you put his offensive talent around a team that would have a good primary playmaker, that was a good decision maker and solid wing defenders, you could potentially see some winning basketball because in terms of just offensive ability, the guy's definitely an all-star level player. And I've, I've seen teams that have been led by worse guys than Zach Levine that have had winning ball. So it can't all be him. Yeah. I, we talked about the bulls to start the season that they have no real identity. And even Billy Donovan coaching the team now has said that these bulls don't know how to win yet. So I don't think that they have a true identity. I think that they have a jam at small forward and they need to get rid of Otto Porter, who is on a bloated uh, expiring contract. Uh, and I do think that Zach Levine just needs to be in a better situation or surrounded by better players. So we'll see if the Bulls are buyers or sellers at the trade deadline and if Zach Levine is still on that team that is retooled or is on a new team and contributing in other ways. All right. And that pretty much wraps it up for this episode of Court of Opinion. Um, hope you enjoyed it. Not going to talk too much about James Harden trade going forward. So I hope you enjoyed the lead up. It was good while it lasted. Well, like us, subscribe to us, rate and review us. If you think you have better opinions, shoot us a DM on Twitter at Courts of Opinion. I'm Eric Gonzalez. And I'm Mike Stir. Court is adjourned.